0: Welcome from the Rookery end uh, as we exit Clarence Park. Uh, my name is John. With me at the moment is uh, Mike. Good morning. <laughs> and uh, well, this is the first steps on our trip to
1: uh, Wembley on 26.2 miles. I think we've done 20. We have done 26 steps so far of the 26 <laughs> miles. So it's an opportune moment to start. I'm looking forward to the, the first point two
0: because uh, I don't know. There's only 26 miles to go. Uh, there's a, a, a gaggle. I want to call a gaggle uh, of us uh, today. Uh, is myself, Mike, Jason. KT, DCW, uh, Mike's brother, Andy, you heard before, and Mike's sister, Liz. So we're all uh, walking to Wembley. Prostate cancer, because Mike, your dad... Uh, is currently undergoing treatment uh, for prostate cancer
1: he is yeah we found out earlier in the year that he was uh, he was poorly but we decided we'd uh, we'd do something about it and this is that thing we've uh, delighted to so far raised over over four grand but we'll keep pushing that target you'll hear you'll still hear more about this uh this fundraising effort uh, after today but yeah dad's doing well and he's going to join us hopefully uh for the last couple of miles from uh, from barnet to emily so there yeah, should be a nice moment A lot's been going with Watford. Uh, I'm sure we'll have to fill these 26 miles with uh,
0: chitter-chatter about the Hornets, uh, as well as try and catch up with some of the the other walkers, uh, particularly one Mr Richard Johnson, uh, who is uh, walking with us all the way from St Albans uh, to Wembley. Uh, So this is our story of our 26-mile walk from St Albans to Wembley via Watford and Barnet.
1: Marching their way to Wembley
2: in aid of prostate cancer, this is From the Rookery End.
0: we go, the sound there of the uh, Men United band as we're walking onto uh,
1: Watford High Street. How far have we done so far, Michael? It must be about 40 miles by now, surely, that's what my feet are saying. No, I think we're um, 12 miles there or thereabouts, so, uh, yeah, approaching the uh, sort of the halfway mark.
0: Yeah, we're, we're heading towards Vicarage Road. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about the, the walkers, I've said, but also talk about what's going on at Watford uh, at the moment. And the, the big talking point, over you the know, last couple of days, is not someone who's going towards Rickridge Road, Michael. It's, it's a possibility of someone leaving Rickridge Road, yes. uh, who is one, Ricky from Rio. Uh, Richarlison, the uh, rumour mill, the press tweets and everything that's going around, uh, seem to say that uh, he's off to Everton in the region of anywhere between 44 and 50 million pounds. Lot to talk about tonight. Let's, let's we start with the, the fact that Ricky's going. If Ricky was to go, yeah. when he first showed up,
1: this time last year almost, how did you feel about him those first few games of last year? Oh, I was absolutely blown away. I was he was incredible for those first six, seven games. I um, I was almost sort of overawed by, by the quality of the guy, telling anyone who would listen about him how it felt like it felt like we finally had a, a Premier League star. Which I think we all felt very lucky to have. Lucky to have him. Um, he was quick. He was direct. And he was strong. He was the way he just sort of. He was a. He's a young lad, evidently. But he was. He got some rough treatment after people realised he was. He was pretty tricky. But the way he just dusted himself. To, um, dusted himself off and got on with it was was a joy to behold. And of course he was skillful. He was making chances. He was scoring goals. He had that memorable last minute. Um, last minute winner at. Uh, at Swansea, and yeah, it felt like we were in the. We had a genuine, not even a Premier League star, a world star mm. playing, playing for us uh, in, the, in the yellow of Watford. It was massively, massively exciting. My moment for me
0: with him was when we were away at Bournemouth, which was the second game for him. Uh, he had done a little bit at home to Liverpool, but the, the, the rest of the team were using him as the outlet. You know, he had been at the club and for literally a matter of weeks. But they were hoofing it out to him as a... Uh, not just because they needed to, but because they almost trusted him. And he had that excitement of a running down the wing, which maybe we haven't felt since, since John Barnes. The rest of the season, though, wasn't quite the same. And you could sort of see a little bit of him...
1: Well, he faded, didn't he? His season yeah, his, his season his
0: faded and tapered off for many reasons. Uh, I think firstly because of the amount of games he'd played and his age and his fitness. But mentally... You did see him falter, and maybe not have that as much resilience as you might have hoped.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, we talk about that first clutch of games, and I don't. It'd be really foolish and really daft of us to pretend that he's not a great player, because we saw in that little clutch of games he's spectacular. He could, he was world class. I'll go, I'll go that far. But then it's also be, be silly not to, um, not to be honest and not to face facts that he was was then pretty. Well, he's pretty poor for the rest of the season. It did, it did coincide with the uh, Marco Silva debacle. He had a rough game at Chelsea away, didn't he? The one there where we ended up losing 4-2. And, you know, he could have put the, the, the game to bed with a, with a couple of chances. And that was sort of, here we go, his season and the rest of his season in microcosm, wasn't it? <laughs> um, it sort of seemed to set the tone for the rest of his, the rest of his campaign. But not not just that. But the way he dealt with um, his obvious tail-off in form was was slightly disappointing, wasn't it? He sort of saw his, his chin on his chest a little bit. He looked increasingly disgruntled, increasingly frustrated, increasingly despondent. And, and as the season wore on, and as we needed more and more from our creative players, because we had injury issues and, and form was dropping off, the more we needed him, the, sort of, the less we seemed to get from him. So I think there's two schools of thought, isn't there? I think the more charitable... Um, guys would tend to suggest that yeah, he didn't have a, a, a summer break at all. He came straight from the tail end of the Brazilian season to play um, in Watford in England, a country he knew nothing about, didn't know the language. So perhaps you'd understand that after a, a sort of 12 months of playing football solidly, you could you could you could accept a, 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 a tail off in form. But it does seem to me that it coincided with with Silver leaving, and he he basically. Through a bit of a tantrum, I think. I think his, his bottom lip started to go a little bit and and he just wasn't the same player. So we saw both sides of, of an incredible player and I guess the question is, which one are Everton going to get? And what
0: kind of player will Everton fans expect to get when they're going to spend between 44 and £50 million? Pounds? Firstly, DCW, uh, £50 million, pounds, let's say. Let's round it up. Uh, £50 million pounds for for a player we've had for less than a year. bite your hand off?
3: I think you have to. I mean, it, That is, by far and away, the biggest sum of money Watford Football Club will have ever received for a player. And it is the epitome of the Potso model. They buy cheap, they buy young, with the aim to, if it goes right, selling high, and this is exactly what they're doing in this situation. I think there will be a touch of sort of sadness and kind of what could have been if and when he does go because we've all seen in flashes last season the potential that he undoubtedly has and it would be nice to think that maybe he could have had another season with us where perhaps he could really have flourished and had that one great full season but you just you can't refuse that sort of money that that money could be reinvested into the club not necessarily direct for players but just 50 million into the club's coffers. Well, that's half yeah. the
0: income we would have got from the Premier League money in one season or round about that, any at least. Yeah.
3: So I think that's really important and that, that, that is you know, the thing is, it's actually not, it's not just the Poto model, it really is kind of the model for any club outside the top six and, and, and indeed even some of the clubs within the top six are kind of still, when Real Madrid, Barcelona and the like come knocking, they have to sell their best players too. It's the way of the world I, I, I tweeted the other night that you know, I just can't stomach the thought of seeing him tearing up for, for Everton next season, maybe scoring against us and maybe taking Marco Silva and Everton into, into Europe. But you know, that's the reality of life as a football club. You, your, your best players will leave often and you see them elsewhere. But he might not be good. You know, it, This might turn out to be a brilliant, brilliant deal for Watford. Maybe this will be the most amount of money he ever gets transferred for. Maybe Everton will sell him for £80 million in a few seasons. You just don't know and that's
0: I think the, 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 the thing that Watford fans are thinking about we know that that's a lot of money and that's a good amount of money for any Watford player we've ever had before double any other uh, Watford player Watford ever sold but the bit I've got in my head is that you, know, you sort of want to know what that sell-on fee you know, uh, you know, how, what's the proportion of the sell-on fee we get do we get 20% of that uh, and then you go that's going to be a great deal whatever happens because if he does go and shine we're still going to get a whack load of money uh, a few years down the line but the, the Pozzo conversations they must be having about when do you sell a player you've got to make sure that you sell them at their peak for you Watford are never going to sell a £100 million player a player might be that but they're not going to spend no one's going to give Watford £100 million at this point they will do maybe in about 10 years time when everyone's going for £100 million but only the big clubs who are selling to bigger clubs get sold for £100 million so for me it sounds like the absolute maximum they were ever going to get for a player and it does feel like it's probably, because of Marco, uh, the best place for him to go. And the only other club I would have said yes, if I was advising him, you know, as I might do, not really, uh, that the only place that he could possibly go to and and keep that development going, that we know that he's a young, young player.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's a really important factor it's a, you know perhaps it's a little bit more galling for us Watford fans to see him go to Everton because of the, the ill feeling rightly so towards towards Marco Silva but for the for the player himself if we're being objective it, it, it I think it is it's obvious an obvious step up and that Everton are a very historic club they have ambitions maybe at the moment you know they have similar sort of status as Watford but they have ambitions maybe to get into the top four top six And that relationship with Marco Silva will be absolutely key for Richarlison. I I don't think it was a coincidence that his form dropped off in the way that it did after Silva left. Because I think the language factor is a huge thing. They both speak the same language. So he
0: still had his, uh, his big brother... Uh, Joraleo Gomez and I think if Everton were going to spend an extra million quid along, along the line signing Horalio on some sort of a consultancy basis would probably be quite a good thing because yeah, the, 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 clearly the, the, you say that what, what Marco had but also what Horelio did in terms of her, his settling and uh, being that fatherly brotherly uh, figure for him I think it was really really important to it so KT £44 million, pounds, maybe a little bit more, what on earth would you do with that money? Is this going to have an impact on the rest of the squad when we can sell one player for that amount of
4: money? Well, I think personally, if you're up to me, I would do what Ronaldo did and I'd buy my own private island and live happily ever after. But, <laughs> but I don't get that option. Um, um, I mean, I think we all know where there's a, a big gap at the moment and I think we're all kind of we're desperate for a number nine. I think, we know, we've got Troy Deeney, we've got Andre Gray, at the moment we've still got Stefano Akaka. Last season, neither of the three really set the world alight, and I think we need someone to come in and, and almost shake things up a little bit. Now, I don't see anywhere near that amount of money being spent on one individual. I would be surprised if even half of it is invested in the squad, but I would like to see a number nine come in. I'd really like to see things shaken up, and Someone who's a bit more proven. I think we the players that we've brought into the Premier League have, at the time of signing them haven't really played that much in the top division. Andre Gray had, what, a season, half a season in with Burnley. Troy Deeney had never played in the Premier League when he came up, Stefano Akaka, and, and there are others as well. So I want someone who's actually been there and done it in the Premier League. I know that costs money. But we're potentially getting this super amount from Richarlison. Let's let's go out there and, and prove a point and make a statement. But does it feel
0: that the Pozzos are going to spend that amount of money, like you say, even half that amount of money on a play? It just is not in their ethos to spend that amount of money. So what are, you know, let's say twenty million. Let's say, who can you actually buy for twenty million or about two million
4: more than Andre Gray? And that's the problem, isn't it? 20 million these days doesn't actually get you very much. 20 million is, what, 10 years ago, probably 5 million would get you. So it is hard. And this is what the recruitment team is there for. You know, in discussion, I'm sure, with Javi Graffia, they now have to earn their corn because, I don't mind saying it out loud, I think some of the recruitment in the past has been questionable. Uh, we are getting, obviously, a big return on Richardson but I look at some of the other signings that have been made that haven't worked out. This is where they're going to earn their corner and they're going to prove their, prove their worth.
0: It is going to see. Uh, we've run at Rickridge Road and the band have, have jumped ahead of us and they've, they're, they're in front of us again. Uh, so we've done it 12 and a half miles uh, of the route so far uh, and we'll see how we can uh, we get on the rest. So we'll be back soon. Uh, somewhere down between Watford and uh, next up after this, Barnett's.
1: So from the Rookery End on the March of the Arch, the March for Men for uh, Prostate Cancer, walking alongside me, none other than Richard Johnson. Richard, how are you going?
5: Yes, very well, thanks. Kicking along nicely.
1: Uh, tell the listeners where we are.
5: I think we just left Barnet. Um, what's it called? The bees? The hives?
1: <laughs> Stadium. Thanks very much, Richard. We've um, we've just left. Uh, we've just left Barnet. We've done done 20 miles. The heat may have got to Richard. Um, he seemed okay a minute ago, but uh, yeah. So we've just left Barnet. We've 20 miles done. Six miles to go as we uh, as we walk to Wembley for prostate cancer. It's been a good day though so far, right?
5: Yeah. Listen, uh, it's been fantastic. Some of the stories uh, that you've been listening to along the way. Um, In terms of what families have had to go through with uh, prostate cancer affecting them met a top top bloke I'm not sure where he is at the moment, but Bob is uh, from South End. He's he's got Parkinson's um, Quite an advanced stage and he's plodding along. I think his father died of prostate cancer many years ago So he's doing his bit there's another young lady that I've met, um, her father was diagnosed uh, middle of last season so it's just been
1: fantastic to see everybody pulling together for such a great cause. I think that's the common theme isn't it, there's a lot of people who have been touched by this, uh, this disease and it's great to see so many people here out um, walking towards Wembley. How have, you, how have you found it, how are the legs holding up? Um, not too bad
5: uh, it was It was great walking up that little bit to Barnett Stadium, uh, <laughs> where you could see the Wembley arch you know in the background so we 're nearly there but listen if if we can do our little bit to just sort of raise awareness or a little bit of money uh, that 's going to go to like I said such a great cause then uh, i 'm more, more than happy to do it and of
1: course as a, as an ex professional footballer you're you 're more than uh, more than okay with having to work hard during the uh, during the summer. Um, can you remember a memorable pre-season with, uh, with Watford? Yeah, yeah but uh, I think
5: you got me mixed up with working hard sort of <laughs> during the off-season. <laughs> when that final whistle went, I was off on holiday for about six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had many a great pre-season. I think Graham Taylor, he always liked to go to Scandinavian countries, and I was uh, t- talking to you earlier about it. Uh, we ended up going to Finland one year, and... Uh, he always used to take us to sort of out the way places where we couldn't get in any trouble. or uh, So we ended up staying in this beautiful little town, don't get me wrong, but it had a massive lake. But it had like a, an army assault course around, around the edge of this lake. So we were doing three sessions a day out there and uh, having to do this assault course. And um, But listen, we we had some great times. Pre-season was always tough with Graham, um, but you knew at the end of it that you were going to be... Yeah, really fit.
1: Was there, was there anyone from your era who you knew for a fact was dreading coming back for, for pre-season? I know you joked there that you had a, had a good summer off, but there must have been a couple of the boys in your uh, era that uh, really dreaded those first couple of days back.
5: Yeah, apart from myself, um, ra- Rammers never used to like uh, <laughs> pre-season. <laughs> um, but we always used to <coughs> dread Chamber coming back because he, he could run Chamber, And uh, I'll never forget we used to do runs through Casbury Park. Uh, so we used to do timed laps, and you'd have like Chamber running past you, just like breezing, and he was always at the at the top. And you've got Kenny Jacket screaming in your ear, "Don't let a goalkeeper go past you!" <laughs> and you had to like try and catch up with Chamber, and yeah, it was a bit of a nightmare. But um, no, good times. Looking back now, you do miss things like that. Um, but at, when you're doing it at the time, it's um, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a struggle.
1: And talk to us a little bit about pre-season friendlies. As football supporters, usually we're we're starved of football. This year we've had the World Cup, which was uh, which was amazing, obviously. But but right about now we're sort of desperate for any sort of Watford shaped football, and we go along to these pre-season friendlies. What are they, what are they like to play, in and what do you want to get out of them as a as a pro? Um, it's, yeah, it's a tough one, really, because
5: as a fan, I suppose you want to see the boys putting in an effort, putting in a shift, and looking to get fit and um, things like that. And playing good football but as a as a player and on the coaching side of it you're probably looking just to get fitness out of it get a little bit of shape see who's going to fit into what position um, how that's going to look um, but also come out of it without any injuries so it's a bit of of a balancing act really Um, but mainly you just want to get the boys fit a bit of game time um, get sort of any new signings that you've signed get bedded in or get part of the squad, get them a bit of, bit of game time uh, to join up with the other boys. So, it's yeah, it's it's hard to marry up everything pre-season. And I don't think you can really take pre-season form into into the season
1: anyway, you know. So,
5: yeah, it's tough,
1: though. You mentioned there working out which players are going to fit into, into which spaces and, and tactics, that sort of thing. What do you think the... Uh, The Watford team of 2018 and 19. where do we need to uh, improve? Where do we need to bring players in? And uh, how do you see the season going for for the Hornets this term? Um,
5: To be honest with you, I I think we've been uh, blessed with the talent that we've got at the club. Um, I think going forward, it's just about consistency. Whoever they put in, I think is going to be capable. Um, Technically, they've got some very gifted players. Obviously, Delafayu signed permanently now. Um, by all accounts Messina that's coming at left back he's done very well in Austria um, you've you got Chalabar coming back hopefully we keep hold of uh, Decore so listen I think probably the area that everybody would strengthen if they could was maybe bring in another centre forward but um, if you've got Troy Deeney, Akaka looks like he may be staying, and Andre Gray it's hard to sort of justify bringing in another striker it's going to cost you maybe sort of, I don't know, 10 million plus, you know. So if Richarlison goes there, you never know. Um, they, they might bring someone in. So, yeah, it's I, I would probably look to,
1: to sort of another striker, if you like. And just, just finally, one of the things that's been a, a real sort of bane of our lives, really, is as, as people with Watford in our hearts, have been the, the injuries. And, of course, unfortunately, you had your um fair share of bad luck with with injuries how do you sort of square off what's going on with with the injuries and and almost it feels like we cursed a little bit over the last couple of years doesn't it does that does that just happen sometimes or
5: without a doubt I think obviously with ligaments or sort of broken broken bones or broken legs or some some of those you can't you can't sort of uh do anything about you know but I think it seemed last year that there was quite a few strains, like hamstrings, groins, and calves, that were just taking too long to to get back, really. Or so I'm not quite sure what's gone on there, but um, I know they've been trying to rectify that. Uh, whether it was training methods or or what, uh, I'm not too sure. But sometimes it just happens, though, and it's each player sort of comes back at their own pace, anyway. You know, so I think yeah. But last year was a bit of a sort of at the start of the season especially if we're getting Chalabar and Cleverly injured because that that midfield three I think we had Decorah and Chalabar and Cleverly when they were playing at yeah. the start I think they were the difference of us winning and losing games to be fair um, so when that got split up a little bit you could see it sort of go off so yeah it is
1: a shame that you get injuries but it's just part and parcel of the game so fingers crossed we have a bit better, of better, better luck now last last thing Burnley qualified for the Europa League. They're off to, to Aberdeen. Do you think that this time next year, instead of walking to uh, walking to Wembley, we could be walking to Reykjavik or something like that to watch Wofford? Reykjavik, that'd be nice. We've, yeah, a bit of uh, snow football. Um, yeah, look, who,
5: who knows? Uh, if we can get the same sort of start like we did last season and then carry that on and not, not dip form... Once we get around the sort of Christmas mark, then you never know. Um, I think we've definitely got a squad to do it. When you look at Burnley, they just basically had a team of grafters that worked hard together, and look, look what they achieved, you
1: know. So there's definitely opportunities there. It's on. Let's do it. We'll see you, we'll see you on the walk to Europe uh, <laughs> next year, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us. And just so we're clear, I think we've got about five miles left to go, mate. We're heading towards Wembley. Awesome. We're just out of Barnet. From St Albans to Wembley via the Vic and Barnet, this is From the Rookery End, marching
2: for prostate
0: cancer. We're about 45 minutes from Wembley and, and in every 45 minutes uh, another man dies of prostate cancer. So what we're doing today is hopefully going to stop that, hopefully meaning there'll be far less with all money we raised. Now Jason, to, on to more important things. Watford's new strips, we haven't talked about them yet. Now, DCW is quite scathing of them, both, in fact. The home kit, though, stripes. First time I remember seeing stripes, uh, as a Watford fan. Uh, apparently, it isn't the first time we've had stripes. Your first reaction when you saw that, as we are fashion aficionados, what, did, what were your feelings? I went, oh. <laughs> See,
2: normally, normally me, my, my, my boss at work as well, we sort of have a bit of a, a laugh about this. People get excited by the, by the kit it's interesting to see what it is, and he's a QPR fan and he was and oh it's going to be blue in my hopes and I go oh yeah I was, I was going to be yellow and I've been proved wrong <laughs> it's yellow and black stripes it's, it's interesting it's different isn't it it's uh, and it's it, it's all yellow on the back as well and a nice little hornet at the top that yeah, looks quite yeah, nice yeah, yeah, I quite yeah. like the look of that uh, my nephew got one for his uh, for his birthday lucky boy last week so he was able to study it in detail so yeah. I, I, I like it I think it'll be ultimately it'll probably be judged by how we perform in it this year Absolutely. you know how it goes Absolutely. you know how it goes if we if we go on and win a trophy or something you never know then yeah I think people will probably like it I, I think generally looking at social media it has been well received yeah
0: uh, that's exactly what we said we were on, on the walk earlier on. We were chatting to DCW, and he sort of said, you know, all of my favourite for memories are us wearing a yellow shirt. I think Kieran turned around and goes, yeah, but what if we won the FA Cup wearing that shirt? And he was like, oh, uh, yeah, but we, 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 we haven't yet. So it has a lot to, to live up to to become a, a classic shirt, let's say. Um, but then also, my big thing about it is when we change kits so often... There's only so many times you have another yellow kit that's just slightly different with a slightly different colour collar and all that sort of stuff. And I, for, for me, I think I like the fact for at least this year, we will we'll keep this, this stripes. Uh, but there was actually on the, um, the Watford memorabilia group on, uh, on Facebook, they're often sharing old pictures. And there was actually not that long ago when Watford uh, toured China, they did actually have a yellow and black striped kit. Uh, which I think, I don't think, wore in just that game but was actually a picture of Steve Sims wearing it uh, in the mid '80s. So it's got some sort of history to it. But then the the green kit uh, for the away green. I can't remember a green before. No, there was green in that sort of maroony browny
2: <laughs> green, which was rubbish because I think we got relegated that season, didn't we? And just looked awful anyway. So think, again, it's, it's different. It was interesting. I was at a, a barbecue yesterday. Um and a and a friend of mine, he's he's not a Watford fan, he showed me uh, a photo of him wearing a, an old sort of Adidas training top. Uh and it looked exactly like ours. <laughs> so clearly it's it's one off the uh one off the Adidas template. Um green could be could be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's I suppose you've got a bit more a bit more free reign with, uh, with the with your away shirts. I know some people might like to have seen red given the the sort of predominance of yellow and black in the home shirt, but you know, that's Again, I, if we win something in it, then I'll probably end up liking it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the, still the most important thing there is about any football shirt. Uh, but like DSW said, he said it looks like a, a looks like a, he said it looks like a Norwich away shirt, <laughs> which it sort of does in some ways. But you said like you say it, it comes off the shelf in many ways, um, but that's sort of expected. But at least the home kit this year doesn't feel like it's come off the shelf too much from the Adidas. Uh, plethora of uh, designs that they have so yeah it's what we're going to be wearing this year um, we're still currently wearing our uh, prostate cancer men's march t-shirts as we walk towards Wembley um, so uh, it's, it's been fantastic so far and, uh, and not long to go Jason how are, you, how are your knees
2: no, I'm, I'm doing up my legs actually actually feel all right the, the feet are starting to get a few hot spots but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling comfortable I think I'm going to make it
0: <laughs> well let's see what happens right here we are 26 miles about 0.2 to go Wembley's ahead of us uh, with a great big finish sign and it's, it's looking good. Last six miles, though, we've been uh, joined uh, by Mike's dad, Tony. How are you going?
1: I'm doing very well, thank you, John. Have you come to the end of your treatment now? Yeah, apart from still having hormone treatment, but finished the radiotherapy a few weeks ago. Everything going well. Uh,
0: you were sort of the inspiration or the reason we're doing this, so thank you very much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was my fault that you all got blisters and whatever, but... Uh... I'm immensely proud of uh, the kids, the family, uh, the friends, football as well. Some really super generous people who have uh, pledged money on uh, on the uh, Just Giving site. Uh, a really good advert for football and for family and friendship.
0: Uh, so we're, we're about to head up uh, the ramp up to where uh, Bobby Moore statue is uh, and going to go into Wembley. Uh, to get a medal, which is a, a nice finish for the 26 miles that we've done from St Albans to Watford to Barnet and now here to Wembley. Mike, how's it, uh, how's it been for you, old chap? Oh,
1: terrific really, really good. Are really you
0: saying that in a way that, like, after 26 miles, you can't say, oh, God, I'm killing myself. You no, have to say terrific.
1: No, it absolutely was terrific. It was a great fun, really well-organised event. Great to do something worthwhile for charity. We've raised some money. We want to keep raising more. Um, finishing up at Wembley, one of the most iconic sporting landmarks on the planet. So, yeah, it's been great, and uh, been lovely to walk with Dad for the last uh, last six miles or so. It's been really good. And, of course, uh, uh, my podcast extended family, you guys and my brother and sister, and we have to say um, that the support that we've had from uh, uh, all the, everyone that listens and the sponsorship we've had has been absolutely amazing. So uh, a huge thanks to, uh, to everyone that listens that's uh, dipped into the pocket. It's been great for the charity, but also from a personal point of view, I know it's given um, Dad a massive boost, and it's, uh, it's meant a lot to us personally. So uh, thank you very much. On to the finish. Let's do this. Marching their way to Wembley in aid of prostate cancer,
5: this is From the Rookery End.